Welcome to Career in Ruins, where we've not been blown away by Storm Eunice and we're celebrating Team GB curling gold. feels like you're celebrating team gb's gold an hour after it took place i i i must admit i didn't know i was watching a pre-recorded stream of it and when you said the scoreline was incredible i thought three one doesn't seem that incredible what are you talking about <laughs> doesn't matter you still got to see the exciting moments so yeah i know i know as soon as i realized it was delayed i may or may not have looked up the score anyway <laughs> how you doing but all right yeah all good still here um i don't know if the, our listeners can hear the blustering winds in the background i feel like today's storm is almost as strong as yesterday's storm which is good fun um for a while at least i was stuck in in the house or stuck on the farm by trees on almost every angle which was which was a joy and had no power for 24 hours which was which is all good that's i guess for people that are listening that that aren't in the uk which is at least 50 percent of our listeners now i think we should say that we've been battered by um storms since thursday yeah oh, well probably a week ago to be honest yeah, yeah. on and off yeah the first one yeah and I, I forget all their names they've all got great names i remember eunice eunice is <laughs> the big one and then uh, we've got another one franklin or something like that yeah it's about to hit right now but yeah uh, so yeah. hoping the power lasts long enough to get through a podcast <laughs> <laughs> but um what's been catching your attention this week Bob? oh it's, it's storm related so so yeah. it's uh, it's pretty pretty relevant as many many of us do i've been kind of scrolling doom scrolling through twitter for the last few days mm. keeping an eye on healthy uh, yeah healthy how it's good for, good for my mental health um <laughs> <laughs> looking just looking for various stuff and very rarely as as you know you're you're the, uh, the stronger player on social media among us i i dabble I, I dip my toe in the waters occasionally panic and run away but um <laughs> something compelled me to actually not just do a retweet but a retweet with comment which is very rare Ooh. for me oh blimey thing must have really, know, it did, your so it did really catch my attention and it it was a feed from butzer ancient farm and i just want to do a massive shout out to butzer because it's an incredible place for starters um and anyone who hasn't been should go or watch the horrible histories movie and see it there we had gareth chafee we did yeah yeah we um, had gareth chafee coming and talking about uh reproductions um that you, you'd previously worked on as well there yeah yeah um we did and and there's been some incredible work recently with one of our other guests um richard osgood's I believe mm. been doing some reconstruction mm. work there on some of their um, some of their finds. So really cool place, well worth going to see. A bunch of reconstruction houses, buildings, uh, roundhouses, Viking houses, Roman houses, and they posted a long thread about the the impact of Storm Eunice, and this sort of got me pondering and i think i've mentioned it on the podcast before if not i've definitely ranted to my students about it about the 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 power of reconstructions particularly a lot of digital reconstructions i think to give you the perception that the past was sunny and clean and nice <laughs> and the the reality is people in prehistory early history 
just antiquity across the board would have experienced the same god awful weather conditions we're experiencing at the moment okay maybe not with the kind of underlying current of climate change and whatnot but still some pretty diabolical conditions and it's it's really refreshing to see that discussed in an experimental context which houses survive the best in the wind which roofing style survived the best the the sort of long-standing theory that round houses are such a common architectural style because they're they're so robust against the wind i think some of the houses have, have kind of proved that admittedly mm. some of the thatch looked a bit stronger than other thatches at butzer i'm not sure all thatches created equal but it was interesting to see <laughs> the variety of damage and lack of damage across the reconstructions i think that lack of damage point's quite striking i've got a um a f- couple of fence panels that blow blew down and uh, that that's largely linked to poor materials and poor construction choices so uh, bad craftsman <laughs> might blame his tools is that but um Sort of seems like you're better off with a hedge there, to be honest. Yeah, all right. All right. That's a very topical end joke, but uh, hopefully my neighbour doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, but I, I just out the windows to my right here, I can see Hambledon Hill, and it's a regular walk for me on a daily basis for the dogs. And I always get struck by how blooming windy it is up there, even on a lovely sunny day. So being up there on a during a storm must have been absolutely bananas this big iron age hill fort exposed to all the uh natural climates that, that come in i'm trying to think of the weather so I, i've lost what's that phrase what's the phrase Ex- exposed to all the weather weather lawrence <laughs> you know the one weather <laughs> um you can tell it's a sunday um yeah and it was a it's a great thread we, we should retweet it but um and it, i was particularly struck by the lack of damage to to these these structures that you might consider to be a bit crude in comparison to modern construction techniques but actually they're they're certainly doing better than my fence (laughs) oh so yeah really interesting but how about you what's been on your mind not a whole lot um i just yeah just just trying to force myself to write stuff and um enjoying tweets and time team videos going out that are quite timely and to um mug off miles russell and uh and previous podcast participants <laughs> at Rockwell Raymond Villa. But, uh, that's that's another subject altogether. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I've been, I'll tell you what, I, I must confess, I've been very much looking forward to today's podcast because this is a podcast that we've had to reschedule three or four times now, largely to do with either our workloads or um, storm influences. <laughs> so <laughs> either our fault or uh, influence from, from nature. But we finally managed to find a time when we ha- we all have power working equipment and we can actually um, find the time to do it. So it's my absolute pleasure to introduce today's participant, which is Naomi Supal, who's an archaeozoologist and environmental archaeologist um, who has a long history in academia as well as working in commercial archaeological sector um, and is currently known as a flotation Queen or environmental archaeologist um, at the West Yorkshire Archaeological Service and may also be known for her fantastic contribution and appearances in the Time Team series over the last few years. So Naomi, welcome to Career Ruins. Hello, hello guys. You all right? Yeah, really well, thank you. It's, it's so good to see you. Um, we, before we hit the record button, we were just saying it's been months since we've seen it's probably September really since we've seen each other last. Yeah, yeah, end of September. Time has gone past really 
quickly and also not but yeah i've missed seeing you guys oh, it's great to see you and thank you for uh reorganizing your diaries for us and then um, getting over the uh the storm influences <laughs> oh don't with me there's always going to be some kind of weird extravaganza that <laughs> means that we can't meet or speak but uh yeah we're here i'm here now we're here. So, it doesn't yeah. matter it doesn't Hooray! matter and thank you for joining us um i've been really looking forward to tonight's podcast so i wonder if we can just just hit the ground running and you can take us through a gentle journey through your career in ruins today oh hi 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 how does this how does this begin to start i mean um basically i wanted to be an archaeologist since i was about five i remember my auntie my mum's sister saying to me what do you want to be when you grow up and i went archaeologist and she kind of looked at me and started backing out of the room <laughs> um and it's weird because i didn't really know about archaeology my mum uh, loved ancient egypt china you know terracotta army all that kind of thing but i gotta tell you as a child well <laughs> you guys know me a bit now but i was even weirder as a child like i couldn't stand to be dirty <laughs> if you gave me a chocolate bar or a kit kat it had to be wrapped in foil i had to hold it and and this that and the other i wouldn't even walk on grass or sand even with shoes on and then i must have had a bang on the head and now i'm covered in mud from nine to five uh <laughs> the whole way through so yeah i've always wanted to do archaeology and um I, I i i've tailored you know you know when you're at school and they're like you right, you can take history or geography and i always dropped the geography took the history and i tried to tailor everything towards a historical or archaeological route and i was very lucky actually to do a, a an a-level in archaeology which i'm not sure even exists now no 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 it's been dumped it, mm. yeah that's it, it's terrible and so yeah i did that and then off i went to uni but to be honest when i was at school i don't know if you can even believe this like when i was 14 15 we had uh work experience to do everyone went and got an office position or whatever and i was like no i want to do archaeology and I did, and I got a gig, as it were, um, at an excavation with a Bronze Age Rinditch in uh, Shardlow in Derby. And I was 14, almost 15, and I was there for a couple of days, and then they worked out that, in terms of health and safety and whatever, that I shouldn't have been there. And they, oh, no. they booted me out, and I was heartbroken, <laughs> absolutely heartbroken, going, no, oh, this oh. is the end of it. And then I finished my two weeks work experience, uh, experience at Kellam Island Museum in Sheffield. I don't know if you've ever been down to Kellam Island. No. Oh, I love Kellam Island. I used to live around the corner. It's a fantastic yes. museum and pub. Yeah, the Fat Cat, the Fat Cat pub. Beautiful. <laughs> There's so much nice stuff around there, eating and drinking wise. So yeah, and I can't remember much about the placement apart from helping to design their logo and drinking lots of hot chocolate from a vending machine which is really cool and that's all i remembered to be honest <laughs> um but then after that i i was looking to get some experience before i went to university and i sent a, an email to sheffield university archaeology department and said can i come and uh, you know be on some digs and there was a lovely woman called pat wagner i don't know if you know her or not and she went okay ring me at six o'clock on this day and uh We'll see if we can accommodate you. She will tell this story better than me. She's like, one minute past six, 
phone goes. It's me going, oh, yeah, can I come and dig? And she's like, yeah, come and <laughs> have a week and, and see if you like it. And off I went out into the Yorkshire Walls, which was part of the Warren Percy Research Project. So it was Sheffield University first year sort of, you know, teaching digs. And the research project kind of took over from when they stopped digging. And it was a great place to be. And I was there from sort of 95, 96 till about 99, 2000. Beautiful, beautiful archaeology. Like you couldn't wish for more to cut your archaeological teeth on the Yorkshire Wolds. You just couldn't. Beautiful black and white sort of archaeology. There's nothing better than digging a three meter deep ditch with chalk lined sides. Now you're talking. Oh, <laughs> yeah. If there was ever a, a use for a leaf trowel, that was it to clean that up for a photography. Oh. And I remember going there. I remember turning up going, well, what do I look for? And they were like, just look for sort of brown and red bits in the ground. Because it's true. Like, how do you tell somebody what to look for in the ground? <laughs> so I guess I was looking for pottery and bone. And the first thing that I came across was a sheep burial. And they believed at the time that it was just a sheep that farmers had buried. And it wasn't. It was an Iron Age sheep burial with pottery and stuff around it. And I've still got the little permatrace, a copy of the permatrace drawing that I did, which is rubbish. That's one of the reasons why I don't dig anymore, because I was terrible at drawing. <laughs> Sections, plans, nothing. It just sent me into a sweat trying to work out all the maths between this is a 1 to 10, no, this is a 1 to 20. No, ridiculous, no. Eh. Um, and I spent many, many lovely years there. And so from then on, I guess I eventually went to university. And I went to the University of Bradford. Uh, I did a four-year degree course. And the fourth year, well, the third year, as it turned out, was your placement year. Oh, nice. Which was amazing. And I worked for the Yorkshire Dales Hunter-Gatherer Research Project. Mm. So Mesolithic Cave Sites. That's where I really sort of picked up my animal bone stuff. I guess from that sheep burial, actually, it set the seed for me going, ah, animal bones, these are cool. <laughs> and it just followed me ever since then. And so we did that. But my first year at university, you never guess where I went to go for my first year field school. Oh, let's do yes, no questions. Is it in the UK? No. Oh, is it in Europe? Yes. Your son, Derek. Oh, is it somewhere with traditionally nice weather? Uh, yeah. Is it a high profile site? Yes. Oh. <laughs> have we stumbled across a new game this is yeah i think we might have done yeah, yeah. is it coastal oh now you're testing my geography no okay is it in italy yes oh what's a punt <laughs> <laughs> is it in the capital city uh yeah has a nice volcano with it <gasps> not pompeii yes pompeii OMG. Oh. Tell us more. I think three more questions we might have got. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so lucky because that was one of the options. It, it, the University of Bradford, they would say, right, everyone had to go to a field school. A lot of people went to Scatness and a massive mm. long project went up there with the old Brocks of Scatness. And Pompeii was one of them. And I remember even as a student, you had to fill out a form and you had to put your case forward. And there was a, a, literally a list on the wall going, yeah, you've been chosen. <laughs> you know, like in the American films, you see a list on the wall and you go, I've been chosen. Yeah. Literally, that's what it was like. And off I went to Pompeii for nearly two months in a tent, which was a new experience. 
all around in a tent in a tent yeah oh, in a nice. tent in a tent um and yeah the campsite was called uh camping spartacus believe it or not <laughs> surely you invent a nice drinking game based around that oh the, oh don't even talk about drinking <laughs> games i can't even look at limoncello ever the same again absolutely not um but yeah a, a fantastic experience um but it just kind of shows because I've never been a very lucky archaeologist in terms of digging <laughs> and finding things like that Iron Age sheep burial in the Yorkshire Wolds. That was it. After that, it felt kind of flat. Even in Pompeii, Aww. did you find anything? No. People are like, how? How did you go to Pompeii and not find anything? It's like, <laughs> well, that's just... except that I had to evacuate one of my trenches because they thought there was a World War Two mm. bomb. It turned out not to be the case. <laughs> it was a bucket from last year. <laughs> but that, that that was the most exciting thing. But it was a brilliant experience because not only did we learn excavation, we learned about uh, recording, you know, buildings and painted wall plaster and all that kind of and all that kind of oh, thing. I'm I'm a firm believer in the role of a third year placement year. Yeah, I think that, that's incredible. I know Bournemouth University offer it as an option, but don't necessarily in, enforce it. But um, mm. in previous roles, we've had placement students and, and I know you've had Derek students going all over the place and they're always just brilliant. And you, you see them going on to get such fruitful careers, which I, I think mm. your case in point here, Naomi, as well. But sorry to interrupt your, your flow there. <laughs> well, no, I don't, I don't know about the fruitful career bit, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was great. And because it wasn't just Bradford University, it was a mixture of American universities and people from Australia one person of which that I you know met there didn't know very well 10 years later we met at the University of Hull and became uh you know like family as it were but yeah Pompeii was great and that was actually the first time I had to go at flotation ah. and it was so hot it was so hot so being in a cold sort of pool of water mixing stuff around was beautiful okay <laughs> So fast forward to about a year later, <laughs> North Yorkshire, uh, Malham, Malham, actually. A bit different. A bit different. <laughs> Crack on with the tank. This is very, very, very cold. Not the same experience. Not the same experience. <laughs> Outdoor, very cold. I've got to admit, the last time I went near a flotation tank, it would have been probably over a decade ago now at Wessex Archaeology at their base in Salisbury. Mm -hmm. And they had a, a lovely kind of sheltered flotation tank set up, two big flotation tanks. And it was over a Christmas winter period. Yeah. And I remember having to chip through the ice to, to be able to float <laughs> anything. And it was unbelievably horrid. Yeah, awful. <laughs> For those listeners that don't necessarily know what a flotation tank is, it's kind of the essence of environmental archaeology or one of the yes. uh, the starting foundations for that, that whole process. Do you fancy talking us through it? It, it really is. So essentially, a flotation tank is a square or rectangular vessel um, that has water pumping through it from the underneath to create kind of a an upcurrent, as it were. And so you pour uh, a soil sample in, the heavy part of that soil sample sinks to the bottom, and then if anything that's light, let's think, um, snails, charcoal, carbonized grain, anything like that will float across the top, go up and out into your little sieve, and that's your flot, which then gets looked at in minute detail at whatever's in there. But the bit that's in the bottom, your rocks, as it were, you look for finds or any other parts of, 
you know, what's happening in your archaeological site, I guess. The, the way that I like to explain flotation, people go, oh, why do you wash soil? <laughs> and it winds me up. Like, you, you, you don't wash soil. You don't wash soil. <laughs> I've already got the name of this podcast, The Career in Washing Soil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, I like to think of it as excavating with water. Because when you're digging on a site, especially if you've got a really clay site, we all know what clay is like. It's a pain, an absolute pain, whether it's wet or dry. And you can't see a lot. So it's good to take a sample, put it in that tank, and you, you get a lot of information out of it. So that's how I like to think of uh, flotation. So it's not even just about the environmental side. It's about artifact retrieval. At the moment, we have a, a big cemetery at one of our work sites at the minute that we didn't expect. And so they're lifting those skeletons and they're taking 100% the soil in and around it which is amazing because not only will that hopefully retrieve the little bones that are in your hands and your feet, things that might be missed by eye, but things like grave goods. Hmm. And I'm not talking anything big here. I'm talking about a bracelet that might have lots of little clay or glass beads. And you can't see that. You just cannot see that by eye. The reason why I don't dig outside anymore is because the ridiculous weather conditions that we get and our field staff at the minute are really struggling against it. So if you're trying to battle the elements, you can't see everything, everything, everything. You take those soil samples and yeah, you can get some magical wonders that come out. What I love about what you've just talked through, it's easy to get distracted by whizzy technology like drones and LIDAR. It's easy to look at geophysics because it's a visual immediate output. Mm -hmm. Excavation, diggers, trowels, pickaxes or mattocks whatever we're, we're thinking about that's an easy sell but that environmental size just not quite that well understood or appreciated by the general mm. public but also so important for our discipline as a whole for answering bigger questions about a site about an individual about a feature and just that that idea that the excavation through water carries on after the physical excavation it is often overlooked but so important and this week's podcast that went out this evening was with rob mm -hmm. he starts off his interview saying that he first got into archaeology as a five-year-old when his uncle turned up with some some charred grains that he'd um, got from a, a local excavation as, as part of his <laughs> community excavation thing so the environmental archaeology mm -hmm. or the ecofacts as derek called it in the podcast yeah that's right ecofacts yes 100 percent. Yeah. they're what gave rob his impetus and his passion to to start a career in archaeology so they're everything that we do from beginning in geophysics to end in the environmental and sort of feeding into that understanding of the site is so important on so many levels and i love it and don't get me wrong i mean nine times out of ten when i'm floating there's nothing that actually floats environmentally but it's the it's what's found in the retent whether it's um, that one piece of pottery that you didn't get on the entire site. There was a site that we had recently and there was about two pieces of Bronze Age pottery and I found 12 pieces in a number of samples. So it increased that totally and increased that because that's what you want for dating evidence. Um, so that's what I, I love about it most, more than the environment, not more than the environmental side, but really appreciating the fact that you can float 
to have artifact retrieval and it could be the make or break of dating a deposit or you know mm. that's what keeps me going every single day every single day so you were you were introduced to environmental archaeology and excavation by water at Pompeii but you carried that on when you got back to the UK I did where did you take it from there and so after basically the year with my you know with the York Jail Hunter together a research project mm. after that my next experience was I got a job with English Heritage um, at Whitby mm. and actually I, I was about to say it was my first job after I graduated except that it wasn't I was there for about two weeks had to get on the coach from Whitby back to graduate to come back <laughs> and then it was my first uh-huh. job after I graduated um, but yeah it was all to do with environmental archaeology finds processing, all of that kind of thing. And actually, that was a a bit of a nightmare. So you must have noticed that, you know, when I've been at my flotation tank with Time Team, I have to stand on a pallet because I'm only only four foot nine and three quarters. (laughs) And so it was a similar situation. They had these breeze blocks and they were a bit unstable. And I remember getting a bucket and pouring it in and then kind of falling off the breeze block. And I completely wrecked my wrist. I thought I broke my wrist. At the same time, a big important person from English Heritage we were supposed to be receiving came in and I was like, hi, yes, welcome, welcome here to Whitby. Uh, Please, can you take me to hospital? Because I kind of (laughs) fallen into the flotation tank after standing on breeze blocks. And that's why I have a pallet now. So I've not grown anymore, obviously, wish I could have. But from there, I graduated went to do my master's in between there wasn't a lot of archaeological work so i actually tempt got a temping job for norwich union oh nice Nice. (laughs) actually aviva or whatever they are now i don't know if i can say these things but um (laughs) and i was sorting through junk mail and they would send back you know you used to get the free parker pens yeah yeah i've got about 50 parker pens (laughs) that's good recycling archaeology of the future (laughs) they are good pens and then not long after that I got a job working for Arcus, and which was mainly a company that did work within Sheffield, specialised in industrial archaeology, of which I knew nothing about. Okay, and so I turned up, and I was there on my third day, and there were people there going, "Oh, time team are coming, time team are coming," and I just thought they were winding me up, like, "Oh, wind up the new girl." And I was there, remember, about day three, day four, watching a machine, and there was this wall coming up. Nice thing about industrial archaeology, you see a wall, it's really nice and clear. And I was watching this machine, and all of a sudden I heard in my right ear, do you think it's an internal or an external wall? I turned and went, oh! (laughs) And there was Tony Robinson. And I was like, what? And they were there backwards and forwards for six months to film this special about Sheffield, and it's called Steel City. And that was that, really. I never thought anything more about it. So I carried on with my life, started my PhD research, started teaching, and then I got a, a message one day saying, could you come and work with Time Team? Okay, yeah. And I think at the time it was Raksha that couldn't do all of them. And so I was kind of filling in in between. So this was in between teaching. So I'd started teaching at University of Bradford at first as a certificate in the evening. 
then teaching in the daytime and this went on and on and then eventually I went and gave a guest lecture at a whole university and on the back of that they went do you want to teach an environmental module and I was like yeah sure not realizing that it wasn't already there that I had to create the whole module for myself oh wow stitch up absolute stitch up and I was like okay but no, I, I was very, very grateful for that opportunity. And so over that sort of 10, 15 year period, I was teaching backwards and forwards between Hull and Bradford University. And at Hull, it was at night and they were at my best students. So I would teach from sort of seven till half nine at night and then drive back. They were the best people to teach. They really were because they wanted to be there. They were enthusiastic. And, and the last class that I had, actually one of my students said, you know, my parents can't make the graduation, have my ticket. Because you know what it's like in a graduation. You get two tickets, you can't, you know, invite anybody. And I was there crying my eyes out, whooping them all, all across the stage. <laughs> and I absolutely miss teaching in that respect. And whole university, because it, it was part-time, they got rid of part-time degree. And I was feeling a bit down. And then I got a message going, hey, you, you can deal with soil, can't you? Because everyone knew me as a bone person. I was like, yeah, of course I can deal with soil. And they went, we've got a backlog of soil. Come for two weeks, help us out. And I did. And the person that actually asked me was one of my first ever students at Bradford University. It had come round in a massive circle. And I went, yeah, I'll be there for a couple of weeks. And like I say, almost five years later, I'm, I'm still there. And that's the West Yorkshire Archaeological Service. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much good things to pick out of there. I, mean, I don't know where to start, but one thing we always say is that you make your own luck. In mm. There are obviously yeah. things that you can't help that are lucky, but one thing you've mm. spoken about throughout this is the sort of chasing up Pat at one minute past nine mm. to make sure you got that work placement after your first one fell through or yeah. pushing through and getting all your different jobs and experiences. And um, obviously you left your teaching to that student that invited you to come and help out at West Yorkshire Archaeological Service. Yeah, the universe works in mysterious ways. It really no, no, does. but you work in, you clearly work yeah. in very good ways because that <laughs> student's remembered you and gone, exactly, I yeah. know the right person to ask this person. <laughs> Great to work I with. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, okay. Definitely the way to think about it. Yeah. You, you make your own luck in these things and yeah, you, you reap what you sow perhaps is a better t- terminology for it. And it's nice to see that playing out in your, your career. Yeah. I, similarly i've been scribbling down note after note after note throughout your story Naomi, <laughs> and what struck me most and this is absolute self-indulgence on my part is just how how many times our career sort of randomly intersected and we didn't know about it or our lives randomly intersected um mm. just little things popped out in your story that got me thinking um our, obviously I, I was a sheffield student for a while and i worked yeah. at arcus um to pay ah! for my fees for quite some time um so i was a consultant for arcus doing slag analysis which is a thing ah, um, yeah, it is. <laughs> and when, when when you work in sheffield and you're an industrial unit that is something that you get a lot of so i, I yeah it kept me so going. you went to the dark side is what you're saying yeah 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 okay fine. <laughs> um, but also keller Island museum as as I said already I lived really close to it and it was one of my favorite places when I was in Sheffield to the point when it came to getting married and I needed wedding invitations they've got an old timey printing press in there and yes. a, a chap used to do commercial printing but in a traditional way so I went and got our wedding invites printed in Kellam Island Museum oh. there you go <laughs> and they were lovely really authentic looking beautiful <laughs> 
Beautiful. That's a really nice run through your career to date. I guess you, you touched on your time team bits and bobs there, but you've done many an episode. Are you aware of how many you've attended? It's weird because, okay, so I started with Time Team in 2006. Uh, everything was filmed a year before and the year later it would come out. Mm. So when that came out, it would have been 2007. And I've still got the mug that the school made and it was at Hook Court. Um, that was my first experience. So from 2006 to kind of when it finished in 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. I was there. And I, I wasn't always there as a, as a digger because my body and mind gave up for digging. And like I said, I was rubbish at the drawings and, yeah, all that kind of thing. Me too, me too. <laughs> Tim and other people sort of saw me as as a specialist and wanted me to be there for bones and stuff. In fact, the, the, the very last one that we did was Series 2, 20 was at Brancaster and I was there as an archaeozoologist and I have never had so much bone come through. I, I was busier there than I ever was digging at all. I remember just running around being so stressed and going, oh, you know, bones, ah. And then that was that and then it finished. And what was lovely throughout the whole of this, this is what you've got to understand. Okay, so when I was a kid, I remember Time Team being on TV so I would have been before GCSEs going, this TV show that does archaeology, that's that's what I want to do. We didn't have the History Channel. You know, we didn't have all the things that we have now. Four channels. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. exactly. There was, I don't, yeah, there the definitely wasn't Channel 5 at that point. Um, and loving it. But the, the weird thread that has gone through this is because Tony, everyone talks about Blackadder, but for me, I knew him from Maid Marian. Yes. And, before, and before that which I didn't realize until I met Tony on Time Team, that he wrote children's books. And I have those children's books, and I read them, and I loved them. I didn't even realize. It was always, weirdly, I guess, kind of meant to be. And I enjoyed it. I I really did enjoy it. And then it finished, and I was really astonished to see all the campaigns to bring Time Team back and do this, 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 and this. And then the Patreons came through, and they went, it's coming back. Yeah. Long story short, that's that that's where we are now. For better or worse. <laughs> the beauty of that is that's how we got to yeah. meet you. So back in September last year, um in Cornwall and then in Oxfordshire, we got to hang out for two long weekends mm. and it was an absolute pleasure. It is true. And actually on that drive down to Cornwall, oh my god, nine hours there, ten hours back. Ugh, I don't want to go through that again for love nor money. <laughs> and I actually loaded up my phone with load I'm all about podcasts when I'm driving. It used to be music, I'm all about podcasts. And I loaded a load up, including some of yours from your I want, I want to start from the beginning. No, wait, don't go E too quickly. <laughs> I loaded it up from the beginning. And even through the nine hours there and the 10 hours back, it never got to yours. Got <laughs> it. <laughs> and actually, as I was driving along, because I knew I was going to be meeting you guys, I made the decision not to listen because I wanted to meet you first. With no Aww. sort of... Those idiots <laughs> yeah. laughing about jokes, yeah. their own terrible jokes. <laughs> and, yeah, you guys are great. You did a brilliant job. I, I told you on that first... We sat having a drink on that first night and we were in Cornwall, me, you, Danny and, and Derek and everything going, we're here. And you gave me a little pin, a little pin badge. Career in yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah just fantastic and it's been a, a wild ride but it's been very different this time round for me i guess from time team ending the first time to now 
I'd like to say I was nine years older and wiser. I don't know whether wiser <laughs> is the, the word, but my goodness, what a ride it's been. And I could not be <sighs> any more proud and happy to be to be flying that flag. You know, when I've got that Time oh, wow. Team logo on my chest with my hoodie or whatever, that I'm so proud and I'm so happy. And I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see the programs. I also know I want to hide behind a cushion <laughs> just, <laughs> just in case. Um, but you'll be a fantastic addition yeah. as ever, I'm uh, sure. And, and you've, you've hit a perfect word there, which allows us to segue smoothly and perfectly into the next section of the podcast, which is, is the set questions that we have. And the first one of those is an element of work that you're particularly proud of and uh, I wondered whether you'd fancy elaborating on that well I guess anything from the beginning of where I really started to study animal bone and I had a great opportunity with that placement year we were allowed to take another module within the university it could be anything mm. so my partner Tom he took a GIS module a friend and I just went just going straight for archaeozoology and we luckily had a lecturer that took us every single day for an extra nine months through every single little thing. And so by the time I finished my degree and then went to my master's, I was strides ahead in a way. It, it, it stood me in really good stead and that really cemented the whole animal bone thing, which, by the way, is a weird career for a vegetarian. But let me tell you, <laughs> there's a lot of archaeozoologists that are vegetarian. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Somebody do a study on it and get back <laughs> to us. I, I, I've tried to work it out. I don't know. Makes me wonder which came first, being an archaeozoologist, becoming a vegetarian, <laughs> or being a vegetarian and being drawn to <laughs> archaeozoology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I'll work it out one day. I'm not... I, I'm not sure. I wonder if it, a lot of vegetarians are animal lovers, and maybe that's that's the link. They love to see animals alive and dead <laughs> from the inside. <laughs> maybe it is, but you know, when I see sort of, you know, sometimes there are programs and they talk about butchery and this that, and the other, and like, oh, but you, you can't watch this, Naomi. Yeah, I can. I'm I'm interested from an academic point of view. As long as you don't make me eat it, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. But yes, yeah, so that's one of the, the sort of the proudest parts of my career was learning the archaeozoology through different sort of guises but yeah definitely with time team because I never I never anticipated it mm. at all Be being there in that steel mill with Tony next to me and then three years later in fact when I went to the first shoot and it had been three years and I saw Tony, he came in late at night. He'd been in whatever country, just flown in. And it was late. And I, I stood up and kind of went, oh, I, I better go and say hello. He won't remember me. And he came running and gave me a big hug. And he went, it's taken me three years to get you here, but you're here. Oh, <laughs> that's lovely. That is lovely. That is a proud moment as well. It really, yeah. honestly, it absolutely is. Whether I did any of it justice between then and and the end of that and, and now, I don't know. Definitely did. But what I love about this kind of incantation is being able to do more of the environmental stuff, more of the bone stuff, and the way that we can do, and like all the work that you guys have done behind the scenes and filming X, Y, and Z, you can get so much more information out to people rather than just that sort of one-hour program. I think that's something I really enjoyed about 
making the the two that we just did and the behind the scenes stuff as you say is so much is gonna inevitably make the cutting room floor it has to you you have to condense three days into an hour so much is going to be mm. lost and a lot of that stuff it gets lost while it might not be the most uh televisual eye-catching in the world it's a bit that tells the real archaeology story and and i think that's mm. talking to you during the digs and talking to a lot of the folks behind the scenes doing the the real the real hard work to get those stories out of the ground and out of the evidence and tell those stories and being able to share that in a much bigger way is is so much fun i've really enjoyed it but you say it's lost the cutting room floor but i don't think it is because of all the extra little videos that have been able to come out i think that's it we can we can bring it back from the cutting room we can save it and and share and that's it. what yeah. people mm. want to see this time around yeah we want to see a traditional time team program but that's what people do want to see i think in terms of content release so far they've probably had per episode at least two or three hours worth of extra content already and there's, oh, there's yeah. more to come which is really exciting i know <laughs> terrifying but exciting but yeah so lots to be proud of but i think i i mean i can understand all of that so if we turn to envy oh obviously you've had a pretty enviable career um in a big no, way i think I particularly think so. with the, the time team stuff and things <laughs> like that but is there anything out there that you think do you know what I, I wish i was involved in that yeah right now to be honest at work we had um we've had a beautiful site and it came with a a massive, massive Bronze Age cremation urn. I'm not talking sort of A4 sized cremation urn. If you try and imagine a cremation urn as an A4 size, this is more like A3 and beyond. Absolutely pure, perfect, wrapped Oof. in bandages. <gasps> Couldn't wait to get my hands on it. And it's been sent somewhere else. Oh, ah! no. But it's fine because I know that they can do um, X-ray straight away and conservation straight away. But it doesn't. It doesn't take away from the fact that like, I want to be the person looking inside that. Oh, I I could completely appreciate that. Will you get to see any X-rays yet? Or yeah, we'll we'll get the data back and the information. But it's like, oh it's my goodness, it's yeah. really not the same. <laughs> I'll show you a picture at some point, I guess, guys. But yeah. It was so, so perfect. But yeah, I've, I've been lucky. There's nothing much enviable. I'm just, to be honest, I'm really, really happy that I'm still in archaeology. When I started my degree, there was like 90 people on my course. And within that first year, it dropped down to 30 because people went, this isn't what I signed up for, you know, that kind of Indiana Jones digging aspect. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just really, really glad and happy that I've been able to stay in archaeology this whole time because not a lot of people have. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. So, so we talked about envy and pride. And mm -hmm. um, they're, they're both fantastic classes. I can almost picture the um, email exchange with regards to the, uh, the cremation <laughs> and of going well, block no, capitals. Do what? Like, yeah, <laughs> like wanting to be to get the best for it, but at the same time wanting to do it yourself. It's like yeah, yeah, that, yeah. pitching that email tone just about right. <laughs> it, it was when one of the one of the diggers came in and saw it in one of those sort of clip top locked boxes, and we opened it up. And I could hear, I was at the flotation tank and I could hear her go, oh, even though it's covered in bandages, you can see how beautiful it is. And it's true. And You waved it off out the door. Yeah. And I, I cried. I was like, so long, my friend. Yes. <laughs> so what, what about our time machine then? We, we've got some return tickets here with your name on it. Where would you like to take it? Oof. And what, what would you like to see? I have thought about this a lot. And there's, <laughs> <laughs> we have this conversation daily going, oh, yeah, that's where my time machine would go. 
I guess on one respect, for an archaeologist, obviously, if we had a time machine full time, then we'd all be out of a job, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was only one one trip. I mean, Derek and I get to go on them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's only one trip. Oh, oh can I have one trip? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore that and tell you what I'm gonna say now, <laughs> um, which is, you know, sometimes when you're on a site or even when you're in the lab, going. Why the hell is that there? Why is that? Da, 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 da. And you just want to go like, you know, like in Family Guy when he's got his time machine and you go see that snapshot and come back out again and go, oh, okay, yeah, fine. That's why that is there, right? There's a million and one of those. But my biggest one with the time machine, do you have pets, guys? Yeah, yeah, we've got dogs. Yeah, you've got dogs. You don't have cats. I've got two cats, yeah, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Okay, so the Egyptians, yeah? They're revered cats. They yeah. loved cats. They were brilliant. You see hieroglyphics and all this beautiful, this beautiful cartography and cats mummified and all of that. But we all know that cats do weird stuff daily, <laughs> by the minute. They're licking their bellies. They get their legs stuck in whatever positions. And every single day I go, where is this in the hieroglyphics? What made it, what made the cats so beautiful and reverent to them? Because this is not what we're getting now. So that is what I would use my time machine for, to see that. That is that is a fantastic answer. And there was a, there was a moment you may have seen relief in Lawrence and I's faces there because I, I I think I think for a minute there I thought you may have been coordinating with Neil who Neil Neil if you're listening we love you very much we love you but um, oh I but love Neil in, in terms of time machine uses to go back and see your kittens being born um, it was a, it was a stretch mm -hmm, it was a stretch mm -hmm. even for us I think mm. but when you mentioned Egypt you yeah yeah no, the, the relief flowed over me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah seriously literally every single day our cats will get stuck or doing something or you'll see something on the internet and you're like where it's it's the staple cry of my household where is this in the hieroglyphics what was what was so good what did they see that yeah that's that's my that's my trip in the time machine either cats were wonderfully regal in egyptian times and then something went wrong something changed <laughs> and cats became absolute dickheads yeah. or <laughs> cats have always been idiots i didn't want to say it but yeah you've got that you've got it there you've got it right there <laughs> I, do, I, I like to think that it's like the world's longest troll because the only reason I have TikTok is because my friend used to send me cat videos on TikTok and I was like, I need to see these cat videos. These are amazing. So, and now we, we daily share a video at least once of a stupid cat video from TikTok. Exactly. So presumably the Egyptians knew that they were idiots, but portrayed them as greater things. <laughs> what I'd like to see is, you know, when cats like lick themselves and their tongue gets stuck out and it's full of blep. Where's that as a hieroglyphic? I want to see a hieroglyphic blep. Oh my goodness, this is... <laughs> That's what I'm I want to see. This is probably the best use of the time machine we've ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Uh, and it's totally our level as well. You yep. pitched it perfectly. Yep. Us pretending we want to be educated <laughs> yeah. by other people. Actually. You're going to be up all night thinking about this. Sorry. We but just yeah. want to go and understand what cats are doing in Egypt time and maybe make a TikTok video. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about cat hieroglyphs. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been absolute pleasure uh, to have you with us and to talk us through your career and to get some insights and to now go away and think about mm -hmm. cats in Egypt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when I have these crazy thoughts, apparently I kind of run in my sleep. <laughs> 
like my legs go in my sleep and um so yeah now you guys you're going to be running in your sleep so i apologize to your respective partners and such that you're going to be running in your sleep now yeah my tongue's sticking out what's wrong with you sorry <laughs> you're bluffing <laughs> yeah sleep bluffing <laughs> Right. Well, that, that so ends this week's podcast. We've got a fantastic interview lined up next week, Derek. Who's this with? Yeah, that's right. Next week, we've got an interview with Arwa Karobi, who um, is one of my brilliant colleagues, um, or was one of my brilliant colleagues at Bournemouth. And she's had an incredible career in ruins. So I'm looking forward to chatting to her. That's it. And that's going to be episode eight of the series. So, maybe. Yeah, episode eight. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. And we might have one more bonus episode after that. We're just chatting to our friends and colleagues, a special interest group at the Charters Institute for Archaeologists. More details on that. But um, otherwise, we're, we're kind of shuttling closer towards... Shuttling? Is that the right word? Shuffling. Moving, Shuffling. heading towards... <laughs> scuttling. Scuttling. Oh, goodness. Scuttling. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell it's late on a Sunday. Uh, we're sort of heading towards the end of this, this series. So... We'll, we'll keep looking out for opportunities, but for, for the time being, thank you for all our participants. Thank you to everyone that listens. Thank you all, all our Patreon supporters who have made this series possible and the new ones that have joined since. And we'll catch up with you next week. Mm-hmm.